0: had reached a boiling point with Jerusalem. And he became to Israel like an enemy in verses 4 and 5, destroying Jerusalem. Now think about Jeremiah's language here. It's not that God allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed. It's that God destroyed Jerusalem. He Himself takes full responsibility. Consider the language of the verse that we just read. Verse 2, The Lord is swallowed up. He is not spared. He is thrown down. He brought them down. He has profaned the kingdom of princes, kingdom and its princes. Verse three. He has cut off. He has drawn back. He has burned in Jacob. Verse four. He has bent his bow. He has set his right hand like an adversary. He has slain. He has poured out his wrath. Verse five. He has swallowed up Israel. He has destroyed its strongholds. And you go on and on and on again. This is what God did to un. Repentant people. It didn't happen as if by chance. Jeremiah had prophesied for 40 years to Judah that judgment is coming. And without repentance, their destruction came to pass just as Jeremiah had prophesied. And now, looking back in Lamentations, Jeremiah looks back and he says, yes, God has destroyed us. Jeremiah looks forward to the destruction. Lamentations looks back. And we see how verse 17 spells it out so clearly. He says, The Lord has done what He has purposed. He's accomplished His word which He commanded from days of old. He has thrown down without sparing. He has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. There it is. God doing what He had purposed. He accomplished His Word. From days of old, it was prophesied. He threw down without sparing. But there's hope, right? Have I painted the picture black enough? Yes, Phil, I have. Right. Well, there's hope in in chapter 3. A hopeful prophet. And this is where we're going to camp and spend more time. And if I haven't painted the picture badly enough, Chapter 4 and 5 paint more of the same. See, because the book of Lamentations, if you graph it, it looks like this. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, there's hope. And then chapter 4 and chapter 5, more and more desolation, sorrow and hardship. So everything climaxes in, in chapter 3. It's where hope comes. And it's not so much even that uh, thematically it climaxes with the hope in chapter 3. It does it structurally as well. If you look at chapter 1, how many verses are in chapter 1? How many verses in chapter 2? How many verses in chapter 3? 66. How about chapter 4? How about chapter 5? Okay. Do you catch a common number here? What's a common number? 22. And, and what's special about the number 22? It's the Hebrew alphabet it has 22 letters. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalet, Hey Vav, Zion, Het, Tet, Yod, Samach, Ayan, Pei, Tzadi, Kof, Re, Shin, Tav. 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And chapter 1 begins with Aleph, verse 1, with Beth, verse 2, with Gimel, verse 3, with Dalet, verse 4. Every verse starts called an acrostic. Several psalms are like that. I think Psalm 110, Psalm 119 is like that. It's just a common literary way in which Hebrew writers wrote. Chapter 2 is like that as well. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, each verse starting with a different letter. We'll skip chapter three and we'll go to chapter four. Chapter four is the same way. A, B, C, D, all the right on down. Chapter five doesn't. But it still has twenty two verses. But chapter three is different. Chapter three goes A A A B, B B B C C C D D D. So we have three verses starting the first letter of the alphabet, and then three verses starting the second letter of the alphabet, and then three verses starting the third letter of the alphabet. And it... It it just brings a climax like something special here is in chapter 3. Bringing all of our attention. So if you could read this in the Hebrew text, all of our attention would be on chapter 3. Something is different here. It's also interesting about chapter 3 in and of itself. It it ramps up and then it peaks right in the middle of chapter 3 and then it goes down as well. The beginning of chapter 3, Jeremiah speaks of his own personal woe. And then he finds his hope. And then he rehearses some of his sorrows and difficulties as well. So, we'll get to hope, but we need to go here through Jeremiah's difficulty. Look look here what he says. Verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He's going to talk about his affliction here. We go through these, but I I want to just summarize them. He views God, verse 3, as His enemy. His hand has turned against me. He views God as the one who has tortured him physically. He has caused, verse 4, my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He's used God as the one who has tormented him emotionally. Verse 5, He's besieged me and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In verse 6, we see that Jeremiah sees him as the one who has led him into depression. In a dark place He has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. Jeremiah views the Lord as the one who has stopped His every step. You know, maybe we need some humor at this point. Um, I just thought of this, but this is pretty funny. Yvonne, you were gone Friday, Right? You're gone Friday. Evan was off to some seminar Friday. I was working in my office, and so Krista played mother, and uh, she was she was dealing with lots of lots of different things. And you said, I think Carissa, you said you're going nonstop that whole day, right? And uh, one day I come in, and I'm just hearing, wah, wah, wah. I'm just hearing this baby just cry, and we have a one year old, and I'm hearing him cry, and I'm like, Carissa, what is up? And I look over here, and Carissa. Had Put him off in the our like family room area with a table there and blanket over it, so he was like trapped and he couldn't get in here. And he was crying And he said, she said, now, now you can understand the patience of mom a little bit, right, Chris? She said, I can't get anything done, dad, because he's just so busy and stuff. And I said, so he's sitting up there on the table. You know, it's all about this high. He's going, ah, ah, ah. and I said, Chris, there's got to be a better way. So I picked him up and tried to console him and and gave him to Carissa and just said, let's deal with it a different way. Well, that's how Jeremiah feels in verses 7 and 9. He feels walled in. He can't go anywhere. Verse 7, He's walled me in so I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Verse 9, He's blocked my ways with hewn stone. He's made my paths crooked. He's just stopped his way. And he was crying like our son David. Verse 8, he has forsaken him, not hearing his prayers. Even when I cry, I call for help, and he shuts out my prayer. Verse 10 11, he's the one who's filled him with fear and tore him limb from limb. He is to me, this is God, to me is like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He's turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He's just—he's he's, he's giving me fear because I, I'm fearing this bear is going to come out. This lion's going to get me. So far, he's survived the, the Babylonians coming. He's, he's like a Holocaust survivor who, who so far has, has um, walked free. But he feels scared. He feels as God as if one who, who shot arrows at him, who's landed and pierced him within. Verse 12 and 13, He's bent his bow, set me at his tar- as his target, he made the quiver, he made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. He just feels pierced inside the anguish from God. He, Jeremiah views God as the one who made his life miserable, 14 and 15. I've become a laughingstock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. He's filled me with bitterness. He's made me drunk with wormwood. He has humiliated him in verse 17. "He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. A devastated city, an angry God, a a devastated prophet, really. And the climax comes in verses 17 to 20. My soul has been rejected from peace. Picture this. I have forgotten happiness. Happiness is gone from me. No smiles, no joy. I've forgotten what it's like. I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Verse 19 is sort of a prayer. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. At this point we see Jeremiah as low as he can go. But listen, low is a good place to be. Don't think that because He's not riding the crests that, that it's a bad place for Him to be. Low is a good place for Him to be. Isaiah 66, 1 says, To this one I will look, who is humble and crowned, of spirit, and trembles at My word. God looks to those who are low. God looks with favor upon those who have come to an end of themselves. Perhaps you remember the, the parable that Jesus told of the tax gatherer and the Pharisee. The Pharisee was riding high he was obedient to God in many areas. God had worked in him. God, I thank You that I'm not like this tax gatherer. I'm, I'm not like the swindlers or unjust or drunkard. And God, You have made me like... I thank You that You made me to be like that, to be a righteous man. I am I'm religious. I, I have sinned. I fast. I pay tithes. I everything I get, I can honor You, Lord. That guy's riding high. And then you have the tax collector who's riding low who couldn't even come near the temple, he stood far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to the temple, was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I see my sin. I see the destruction. I see the sorrow. And Jesus says, that man went away justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. And it may be this morning that you're being brought low by the Holy Spirit. Convicting your heart of your own sin. And if that's your case, I just encourage you to cry out to the Lord. For He alone can save you. And anyone who calls out to the Lord, everyone who calls upon the Lord, will be saved. God, be merciful to me. And that's the one that God saves. And that might be a point of application for you this morning. You might be Jeremiah. Crushed in every way. Or you might be one who's been brought low through some trials in your life. Jeremiah here is a believer in God. He's been a preacher of God, brought low in his life. And maybe this morning finds you like Jeremiah, rejected and forgetting what happiness feels like. Having no strength and having no hope. If this is you this morning, then take hope. Because Jeremiah found hope in the Lord during these difficult days. And if he could find help in his situation, as dark as it is, you certainly can find hope in your situation. And maybe today finds you very few trials in your life. Things are going well. Things are going well at work. Things are going well with my family. Enjoying things. Life's easy. Well, I just I just tell you this morning, if this is your circumstances, you need to learn now from Jeremiah because troubles and hardships are on the horizon. They are coming. They may not come next month. They may not come next year, but but they are coming. And you can learn from Jeremiah... And the best to learn them the lessons now, so when the day of distress distress comes, you're ready. The day to deal with adversity, the day to learn about dealing with adversity isn't in the adversity, it's before the adversity. Get these things rock solid in your life. When the adversity comes, you can rejoice in it. You can have hope in it. Well, anyway, chapter 3, verse 21 is um, where the whole book turns. It's right here that Jeremiah begins to preach to himself. And Jeremiah begins to instill hope within himself. When the psalmist was in despair, Psalm 42, verse 11, he preached to himself Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Soul, why? I'm in despair. Why am I in despair? Soul, hope in God, hope in Him. And then all was well with the psalmist and Jeremiah when he was in despair. He preached to himself. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. You want to have hope in a dreadfully difficult circumstance? Then think upon what Jeremiah says. He says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. And if this is what gives Jeremiah hope in his distress, this will give you hope in your distress. Chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. In fact, let's just say these together. These are often, maybe you say it from memory. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's say them again. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One more time. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Have you heard these verses before? Come on. come on. you heard these verses before? I think everybody has. They are rocks. They they speak of God's character and they help us. We sing of these words, great is thy faithfulness. In fact, when I finish my message today, we're going to sing great is thy faithfulness based upon these words. But, but here's what I want. Catch these words in context. Alright? That's why we preach expositionally. So we can catch words in context. Because if we just speak of these words apart from the context, they, they would be encouraging. But in context, they are Super encouraging. Jeremiah, as low as he can go, cities wiped out, home wiped away, many have died at the hands of the Babylonians. He says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How can he say that? Well, because it's true. It's true. It's the pinnacle of Jeremiah's hope. It's the character of God. God's loving kindnesses never cease. Like like sea waves that come upon the ocean shore that just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. You stand ankle deep in the water and it's just going to keep coming and coming and coming and coming. It's going to keep your feet wet. That's the loving kindnesses of the Lord that never stop coming and coming and coming. It's never low tide. God's loving kindnesses. They always come. His compassions never fail. We're all sitting down here because gravity is pulling us down. Gravity never fails. God's compassions will fail just as soon as all of us start floating in space because gravity has stopped. It just doesn't stop. This is God. His compassions never fail. And when the sun rises in the morning and we awake from our sleep and are refreshed, so also God's loving kindnesses and compassions are fresh. Every night at Walmart, I've been out there shopping sometimes late at night, 11, 12 o'clock, midnight, whatever. And there's huge pallets. And what's happening in those pallets? Throughout the night, you've got workers busy. They're restocking the shelves. Every night, God's loving-kindnesses are being restocked so they come in the morning. They are nicely arranged and it's going to come to be able to be used by us in the morning as loving-kindnesses come. And when the sun goes down at night and we're laying our head upon a pillow, we can reflect upon His faithfulness throughout the day to sustain us another day. And these verses ought to bring joy to your soul. Do they? I hope they do. And that song that we sing, let's just sing the first stanza together. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Thee. I just not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever wilt be. Let's go ahead and stop there. Think about how great is faithfulness is. You know, I remember talking with a, a man one time who said, you know, I love the words to that song, but I don't really care for the tune because, as he said, it sounds like a funeral dirge. Does it? It does. It's, it's not just a, a happy, everything's fine song. Because with Jeremiah, it's not happy, everything's fine. It's like, you know what? To tell you the truth, how you doing today? I'm <laughs> doing awful. But God is on His throne and He is in control and His loving kindnesses are new every morning. His Faithfulness is right there. I'm trusting in His loving kindnesses. And that's the tone of Of great is thy faithfulness. The tone is exactly right in context here of lamentations. Things are difficult, but there's hope in the character of God. And as we sing this, we can sing this in the most difficult of circumstances. And I just encourage you, when something comes terrible or awful comes, right? You hear of a parent passing away or you lose a sibling or one of your best friends dies or your house burns or... Any other disaster, you lose your job or your house is foreclosed on. Any of these circumstances, I encourage you to think, you know what? Here's Steve's counsel to me. Sing, great is thy faithfulness. Because that's what Jeremiah was doing. Life was a wreck, but he sang, great is thy faithfulness. I once heard a, a pastor speak of the importance in... Um, in singing as a church to make sure that you, you catch all the waves of emotion biblically. So many times there's just um, some songs in and so many churches just sing at, as um, Bob Coffin once said, sing at one bandwidth. Just sing this this high joy thing. And churches, we need to sing the, the minor keys. So that in times of distresses, we can sing songs like Great Is Thy Faithfulness and and others, I once heard of a pastor. <clears throat> the same pastor was talking about this, talking about how he made a hospital visit to a couple whose baby had just died. A- and I'm not sure whether it was stillborn or whether it came out with some problems and died. But but he was there, and uh, I don't know. Mom was holding the baby. They're just there, very very somber, serious, reflective, difficult, difficult time. And uh, this woman had been trained in the church and uh, was there and and she said, let's sing the doxology. You have the doxology? Let's sing it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And you know what she was saying by that? She's saying, I have my my dead child in my arms. But I have resolved that come good or bad... I'm still going to praise the Lord. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. He's saying, come good or bad, I'm going to praise the Lord. This week I read in a book called The Christian Ministry by Charles Bridges. It's a classic work for pastors. I don't encourage you to read it. It's not a a promo for a book. Um, but I was reading in it and uh, in this particular chapter he talked about difficulties in the ministry and he said, difficulties heaped upon difficulties heaped upon difficulties heaped upon difficulties can never rise to the level of the promises of God. I don't care how big your problems are, your promises of God are higher. And that's what he's saying here. Your loving kindnesses never cease. Your compassions never fail. It's, it's high above here and though though it's difficult and though it's hard and though it's really hard, God, your compassions never cease. Your problems can't beat God's promises. And when you're in the greatest hour of despondency, that's when you need to preach to yourself. That's what He does here in verse 24. The Lord is my portion says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. That's where I'm hoping. I'm hoping in the Lord. Now, what's further amazing about these words is that there is no hand of deliverance in Jeremiah's sight. It's not like there's hope physically for the situation. I mean, it's not like Egypt is going to rise up and come in like gallant warriors and fight off Babylon and go in and rescue them and bring them all back. No, the situation is completely helpless. The city's totally wiped out. No army. No government. Buildings burned. Leaders taken away. City decimated. Buildings burned down. People been killed and left for vultures to eat. It was last Sunday, Mark opened her service with Psalm 79 verse 4 which acknowledges the Babylonians, talking about the same period of time, they've poured out our blood like water around Jerusalem, and there's no one to bury the corpses. He's got bodies around. Stink and stench because of rotting bodies. And the vultures are coming down and just eating the bodies because there's too many to take care of. The Babylonians didn't bury any of that. I mean, it's absolute destruction here. And Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion. I have hope in Him. In this way is like Job. The Lord is given. The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives. He takes. Whatever. My heart's going to say, Blessed is the name of the Lord. Later, Job will say, Though He slay me, yet I will hope in Him. Habakkuk. Three, seventeen 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. Doesn't matter how terrible life is. I'm not into worshiping God thing only because of what He gives to me. Yes, He does give great blessings, but there are times when great curses come upon God's people because of the disobedience. Jeremiah was obedient, but the country in which He was was disobedient. Think of our nation. Our nation is becoming a disobedient country, and though we are, seek to be obedient to the Lord, there may be some infliction of God upon us. We need to be like Jeremiah in those days. Hope in the Lord. And though the oil prices be $15 a gallon. And though the price of food be quadrupled. And though the stock market completely fail and we lose all of our savings. And though we lose our job. And though we lose our spouse. And though we lose our house. Yet, I will exalt In the Lord. That's the message of lamentations. And that's where our hope is. And these statements of Habakkuk and these statements of Job can only be said by people of faith. When Jeremiah said here in verse 24 that he had hope in God, it wasn't because he knew that he was going to be delivered from the hand of the enemy. In fact, Jeremiah had no promise of deliverance. In fact, Jeremiah himself knew that no deliverance was coming. He prophesied in Jeremiah 25 verse 11 How the whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. He said, When this destruction comes, guys, it's going to be 70 years that you're off in Babylon. 70 years of destruction. And by this time that this happened, Jeremiah had already been preaching for 40. So even if he started preaching at age 15, he was, let's see, 55 when the destruction came, and then he'd be 125 then by the time things reached there was no hope for him it wasn't coming back and yet still he could praise the lord and so the key here is it wasn't for physical deliverance that jeremiah hoped rather he's hoping for god to carry him through the deliveries and you know what it's possible to live victoriously through your hardships look at verse 25 The Lord is good to all those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. It is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since He has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. Here is the key. For the Lord will not reject forever. I think here he's speaking corporately. He's speaking here where Job speaks about the issue, the problem of suffering individually. Jeremiah here talks about the suffering nationally. He's saying God isn't going to reject us forever. His covenant was made with Israel. It's only going to last 70 years. Though they're in exile, there will be a day in which God brings them back into the land. It was His promise. And He accomplished it. Ezra and Nehemiah are all about that. God being faithful to His promise. Jeremiah twenty-five eleven that after 70 years... They can rebuild the city. And the reason why God brought them back after 70 years, is stated clearly in verse 32, if He causes grief, then He will have compassion according to His abundant loving kindness. See, Jeremiah knew of God's goodness and grace, though it would come later. He knew the suffering comes now, but the glory comes later. As William Cooper wrote, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. Right? And that's what verse thirty two is talking about. Behind a frowning um, behind a frowning what's the word? Providence, that's right. Behind a frowning providence there's coming in this smiling face. Yet, see, the, the destruction is coming now, but His compassions are coming right behind that at some point. And it might be a while, but it's coming. God's perspective of causing grief starts here in verse 33. He, he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men to crush under His feet all the prisoners of a land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High. To defraud a man of his lawsuit. Of these things the Lord does not approve. In other words, when God's hand of judgment comes, when, when He was destroying Jerusalem, it wasn't because He's a cosmic killjoy who derives a sadistic pleasure out of those who suffer. That's not it at all. See, when the, the Lord afflicts, it's because His justice and His holiness compels Him to afflict. Though in His heart, He has a tender heart of compassion that, that is grieved at the same time. He's the judge casting judgment upon his son. By the law, he's got to do it. And uh, in his heart, he's not. I heard of a pastor one time who church disciplined his own son. Went through Matthew 18. The boy is still rebellious and off and gone. And He stood before the church. He said, uh, my son is, is unrepentant. And we have gone before the elders and talked about it and all, and, and he disciplined his son. And and the way this pastor disciplined his son is exactly the same way that God destroyed Jerusalem. It was what has to be done for the purity of the church. But it was done with a heart of grief because he didn't repent. That's how God chastens. And finally, verse thirty seven and thirty-eight are the stabilizing forces in all of Jeremiah's thinking. It's the sovereignty of God. It's the absolute sovereignty of God. Two rhetorical questions. Who is there who speaks when it comes to pass, unless the Lord commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? The question, who speaks when it comes to pass, unless God is the one who spoke it ultimately and came to pass? Nobody. There's nothing outside of God's sovereign will. Someone speaks something, comes to pass, even if Babylon speaks and comes to pass to destroy Jerusalem, it's God's hand that's doing that. God has commanded it. If you have doubts about that, you can read Habakkuk. Habakkuk, uh, there, God was speaking to Habakkuk and said, I'm going to do something wonderful in your sight. You wouldn't even believe it. I'm going to raise up this sinful... Nation, and they're going to come and destroy you. Who is it that it happens, but yet God didn't command it? And verse 38 is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill come forth? Now, you know what? There's, there's lots of people here who want to change what verse 38 says to, pro- to protect the purity and sinlessness of God. I say, yes, I believe in the sinness of God. I believe that God never sins in any way. He is, he is absolutely holy and absolutely pure. He doesn't sin. But, you've got to catch what verse 38 says. It's from the mouth of the Lord that both good and bad or ill comes forth. It's the destructions that come, come also from the hand of the Lord. And you need to believe this. You need to believe the absolute sovereignty of God. You don't need to understand it. You don't need necessarily even to like it. But you need to believe it. Because that's what's going to carry you through the trials. When experiencing struggles in life, two things you need to keep in your life. First is the greatness of God. Second is the goodness of God. I've already spoke on that in verse 25, right? The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the person who seeks Him. The greatness of God's gonna stabilize you because you know that nothing's outside of His control. No matter how bad it gets, it's no worse than God intends it to be, and He's got a purpose behind it. And the goodness of God will stabilize you because He's good to those who wait for Him. And so, no matter how bad it looks, God's purposes towards you are for your well-being because He is good. Now, it may be that your well-being isn't in this life. It may be like Jeremiah, that you are going to suffer the rest of your days and die in pain and anguish. That's where First Peter comes in and helps, right? The glory is later. Look to your inheritance. Look to heaven. And there may be difficulties and trials here on earth that you never get rid of. But there will be a day when you do. So I just say, do you believe this? Do you believe the greatness of God? Do you believe in the goodness of God? These truths sustain Jeremiah... If they sustain Him in His distress, they are able to sustain you in your distress. So believe it, trust in it, and rejoice in it. And this is something to, to rejoice in. The yes, suffering is coming. That's why James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because you know what they're producing. A sovereign God is bringing about His good purposes in your life to refine you, to test you, so on the other side you walk more purely and more holy and closer to Him. Well, then, verse 39, Jeremiah turns to the preacher, giving a testimony of God's saving ways in his life. He begins, verse 39, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? All we have is by his mercy, and it comes from him. We can't complain of anything that we don't have in light of our sins. So, verse 40, let us examine and probe our ways. Let us return to the Lord. Right, here's a, an exhortation to everybody. Yes, we're in exile. It's gonna be, but let us worship the Lord in this time. And I think his words probably fell on deaf ears, just as they'd fallen on deaf ears for 40 years previously. Jeremiah found hope in the Lord. He gives his testimony here. Verse five. I call, 55, I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry to help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, Do not fear. Oh, Lord God, you have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. Think about him. He's in this difficulty, but he says, I've been redeemed. It's not that he was saved out of his distresses, he was preserved through his distresses. God said, Don't fear. Verse 57. Don't fear. Well, that's a hopeful prophet, and um, I knew I'd be way out of time. I'll just give you the two last two chapters. I, I, I'd love to read through them, but they are on the downward spiral again. And, and Phil, I'll follow your advice. All right, we, we've got enough of that that stuff. But verse four says a punished people, <clears throat> a punished people. You just see here about how God accomplishes wrath punish them chapter 4 verse 22 the punishment of your iniquity has been completed awful awful things mothers eating their children people who are alive wishing they had died by the sword because now they're 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 pining away in their hunger just awful awful things here but this is how Hebrew language works it brings up to the hope <clears throat> then it comes down lest we Forget what the circumstances really like. I say this. Do you have it bad? Next thing you think, hey, I've got a really bad read. Lamentations chapter 4. Because it's every bit as bad as chapters 1 and 2. And then chapter 5 continues the way. It's a humble prayer. It says, verse 5, verse 1, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our reproach. Just, just, just remember us, God. And then in verses 2 through 18, which we could read, He just speaks of of our situation. We've lost our inheritance. We've become orphans. Verse 4, we have to pay for our drinking water. For us, it's not a big deal, but for them, that was a big deal. So oppressed. They have to pay for their water, which they're trying to get out of the ground. There's no rest. They are dependent They're fathers of sins. They're slaves. They're in a dangerous situation. They're unprotected. They're oppressed. They have no joy. They have no happiness. They're depressed. Zion is desolate. It's awful. And God, You know these things, so remember us. And then comes the conclusion, You, O Lord, rule forever. It is the sovereignty of God. It's where He finds His refuge. Your throne is from generation to generation. There's His hope. And here's this real question. This is a question like Job. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore to us, O Lord, that we may be restored. We knew our days of old. Unless, And this is real, this is real feelings of Jeremiah. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. Can I say, are you done with us? Are you done with your promised people? Have you rejected us forever? That's where he's feeling. He's feeling so down. And it kind of ends on a on minor note. In fact, it is interesting how verse 22 ends. The, the Jews at some times have some uh, celebrations where they read the book of Lamentations. And when they do that, they don't end at verse 22. They read verse 21 again. And I just want to close where the Jews close. Restore us to You, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. And I just say again, look here. This is the sovereignty of God. God, You, restore us to You so that we may be restored. Because we're not going to be restored any other way, God, unless You're the One who restores us. And that's ultimately where His hope is found. It's a great, humble prayer. It's a prayer for mercy. So I I just trust that in these days we look, hold firm. The greatness of God, the goodness of God, His loving kindnesses indeed never cease, His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Let's cling to those things, church family. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You would take these words, dig them into our hearts, cause us to believe them and trust in them. And I think when when the trials come, and all hope seems lost and we find our strength in the mighty cross only there only Jesus only there can i cast my burden down <clears throat> only him only Jesus only there is joy in sorrow found that's my message this morning god it's only in jesus only in you that our hope in sorrow is found So convict where hearts need to be convicted. Comfort where hearts need to be comforted. And prepare where hearts need to be prepared. So that we might suffer for your glory. pray in Christ's name. Amen.